This is Press Publish, a weekly conversation about journalism, technology, and the media business. I'm Josh Benton, director of the Neiman Journalism Lab at Harvard, and this is episode 14. My guest today is Jenna Weiss-Berman, the director of audio at BuzzFeed. Jenna was hired last fall to figure out the site's podcasting strategy. Thus far, she's launched three shows, each targeting the site's young, diverse audience. Just about everything BuzzFeed does draws attention, and its approach to podcasting is no different. Jenna's job is to figure out audio's place between BuzzFeed's two great goliaths, text with pictures on one hand and video on the other. BuzzFeed's enormous success with viral content might make you think social sharing is her team's main goal, but in some ways BuzzFeed's podcasts are more traditional than that. We talked about how podcasts can reach a younger audience, whether audio is just a stepping stone to video, and her advice for young people who want to break into the podcast business. Here's our conversation. I was looking through your LinkedIn profile, which I think is obligatory before someone comes on this show, and I noticed that um, you seem to have worked in audio in just about every it, it, just about every form. You, you worked for NPR and for WNYC, sort of classic traditional public radio. You work, you've done some work with The Moth and with StoryCorps, sort of on the slightly edgier side of, of the public radio ethos. Mm-hmm. Simon and Schuster, Facebook, you know, uh, folks who would have very different approaches, the longform.org podcast, the New Yorker, McSweeney's. Given that breadth of experience, what was it that was appealing to you uh, last year when, when BuzzFeed approached you about uh, running its audio? Um, well, <laughs> there was a lot that was appealing. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't know much about BuzzFeed. I was like very much kind of was very in the sort of like older media world. Now I know all about like old media versus new media and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I didn't know too much about it. But what I did know was that I think in sometimes in public radio type jobs, I had great experiences, but I also sort of felt like um, you can kind of get stuck in one job for many, many years. So I know like lots of people who've been, you know, associate producers for four years and they don't really have much creative control and um, it starts to kind of wear you down a bit. And I, while I did have a, you know, have a lot of really interesting and great experiences, I, I felt like I had all these ideas that I could never really make happen in the jobs I was in because I was, I definitely, you know, was at some kind of top down places. And so this idea that, oh, I could run the audio department at, you know, one of the fastest growing media companies in the world was definitely appealing. Um, and looking more into BuzzFeed, I've, I, I found that it was, you know, it's so many things. I think a lot of people who don't know BuzzFeed that well think that it's just kind of like cat videos and like lists about the cutest dogs. Um, but it's really so much more. And I think that what I saw was that they were, it was a place where they were really kind of, um, you know, funding a lot of amazing projects with cat lists. (laughs) And so, um, I was excited to kind of see how, how it could grow. And we, we had one person doing kind of audio quizzes, um, on the site and kind of experimenting with, with audio on the website. Um, but, we, they'd never done a podcast, so I was sort of excited to be the person who would kind of decide what that was going to look like. Yeah, it's so interesting. In, in, in so many of the discussions around public radio and, and podcasting, how big of an issue is just sort of talent retention and talent acquisition. It, it seems like there is this tier of you know 20 and 30-something people who, in, who don't have a show and can't just wait for the 30-year host of the sh- local show to die. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly. It, it, they flee elsewhere. So what was the what was the the pitch like? Uh, you know, what was when you were being hired? You know, when you're I don't know who you were talking with at BuzzFeed, but what was the the idea of what they said they were interested in from an audio perspective? Something that they hadn't really put a lot of emphasis on. Yeah. So um, it was uh, someone. I, the guy I was talking to is named Jack Shepard, and he runs one of the divisions at BuzzFeed, and he loves podcasts, and he had sort of been pushing for them for a while, but. Because podcasts, it's you know, it's a pretty new world, and um, people don't necessarily know how they make money, if they'll make money, um, that sort of thing. I think BuzzFeed was skeptical about it. A lot of people here were kind of like, well, we don't know if we want to do this. Also because the stats are notoriously so terrible and like difficult. It's really difficult to track things, and BuzzFeed is very obsessed with metrics, um, and so... 
it was sort of like a combination of things that made them just not <laughs> really want to do podcasts. But this one guy, Jack, really pushed it through. Um, one of my first one of my first meetings with our editor in chief, he was basically like, I don't like podcasts and I didn't want us to start them here. But um, good luck. Make something that is great. <laughs> and <laughs> to to his credit, he's fully gotten on board since we've had, um, you know, success. So and he's like a great, you know, a great supporter now. Um, but basically, I had seen that they had uh, this audio producer job um about nine months before I got hired, and that ended up being the web, the 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 website kind of person. And I really wanted to be doing podcasts, so that wasn't the job for me. But then when they decided to actually launch podcasts, they called me and asked if I'd be, you know, the producer. And I basically <laughs> I leaned in a little bit and I said, "Good job." You know, if you'll let, <laughs> thank you. I I had just finished the book. <laughs> um, thank you, Cheryl Sandberg. But uh. I I said to them, um, you know, if you'll let me run the department and kind of decide the direction that that th- that it will go in, then I would love to take this job. And so um, they made me the director of audio, and were kind of like, do your thing, good luck. <laughs> and it's a, it's a place that they really, you know, I started here, and it's like they really leave you alone. It's totally different than anything I was used to. It was sort of like. Um, you know, show us what you can do as a staff of two. I pulled in Julia, who had been making, uh, she'd been making the the web audio stuff, and I was like, we're gonna make some podcasts now. And so, we launched two podcasts, just the two of us, um, and now those are doing well, and we're starting to hire more and more people. So I'm really psyched about that. I'm I'm 39 years old. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I don't have a good handle on what the the demographic picture of of podcast listenership looks like. I mean, when I see you know podcast net networks or whatever try to talk about who the podcast audience is, they always talk about how they're you know have more money and have college degrees and all the rest, and you know to try and impress advertisers. But I, I'm I'm trying to I don't know do do the sort of core BuzzFeed readers slash users slash audience listen to podcasts? Did you see that as a as a real line up demographically a connection or was it sort of a step aside from that well that is an interesting question um i think that what i really wanted to do was rather than just appeal to you know pod that your typical podcast audiences i really wanted to bring in new podcast audiences and that was my main goal a lot of people have said you know, um, well, do you, is your goal to make audio go viral? And that's not my goal. It's never been my goal, honestly. BuzzFeed does a lot of great viral stuff. And I don't think that that is something that we have to do is, you know, I don't need to make like little two minute pieces that 10 million people listen to or whatever. But what I did want is, is really to bring in new audiences. So you're right. Um, the you know typical podcast audience is it's similar to like an NPR audience, but it's a bit younger. Um, it's a lot of white guys in their thirties uh, demographically. <laughs> that's kind of a, one so of it's the me, you know basically. The, <laughs> that's you, yeah. So you must be a big fan of podcasts. Um, but yeah, so so I I think it was important to bring new people in. So um, the first two podcasts we launched. One is called Another Round, and it uh, it's hosted by two young black women who talk a lot about race and culture, and they're hilarious, and they're very deep, and I love the show very deeply. <laughs> um, and what we we didn't we really didn't know what to expect. Um, I think I I was you know we were all coming from these NPR backgrounds, our little team, not the hosts, but um, but the producers that we now have, and. At NPR, it, it's like they'll spend years developing a show, you know, before it's ever released into the world. It's basically like tried out on just tons of people. Um, I, I worked on a podcast at, at NPR that's going to be coming out this fall, um, and I worked on it over a year ago. We sent it out to like hundreds of people, got their feedback. BuzzFeed is really different. And so we just kind of recorded some episodes and then just threw them out into the world, not knowing at all what was going to happen with them. And um, it actually caught on super quickly, another round did. And I think it was because we were reaching out to a new audience. And 
it was it happened to be an audience that really wanted podcasts. I mean, we get constant emails now all day, every day, like emails, tweets, just saying, like, thank you so much for representing my voice. You know, like I've never heard my voice in in a podcast. I've never heard my voice on public radio. Um, it's we get emails just from tons of like young women of color, um, men, just lots of people, just mostly young people of color who are just so kind of thankful that this exists in the world. So that's been a huge success and we're really excited. We also have another one called Internet Explorer. And I think that that is um, really kind of geared towards a younger audience. That's how I see it, at least. Uh, it's it's an audience that plays they a lot of them stream it through soundcloud which is something we've found younger people do um so we're yeah. kind of yeah which which is interesting and so so i think young people and people of color were two audiences that we really wanted to bring in with these first two shows and then um we're gonna expand beyond that yeah sure. i i was uh that was one of the things i was gonna ask you is you know how have you seen the listener behavior different be different from some of the other places that you've worked like you know listening on soundcloud for example on one hand you know i I understand that you're not tied to everything else that buzzfeed does but you know one the the virality pieces in part about getting individual pieces of content to people on platforms where they already are whether that's facebook or twitter or, or whatever as opposed to a podcast which at least traditionally has been I think this podcast is compelling enough for me to hit subscribe in iTunes or in the podcast app or, or, or whatever. And it's a different sort of relationship that you have with – you're saying deliver me every episode every week as it comes out or whatever as opposed to you know, stumbling across pieces of audio here and there. Have you seen anything unusual or different about how your audience engages with your audio than in some of your past stops? I do know not just not necessarily how they engage with the audio, you know, through SoundCloud, but the the feedback that we get is just is so overwhelming and so like I've never worked anywhere where people have such strong feelings that they want to share about what they're listening to. So I think that is kind of this social aspect of the audio that I hadn't even really thought of you know i was thinking you know how can we make this audio shareable but instead of shareable audio it's more like um it's like people are sharing their experiences and they're kind of forming a community around another round for sure and we've done um you know a lot of we've done a lot we did a live event that was so much fun (laughs) and um i think yeah just kind of the community aspect of it is different than anything i've seen and and so the thing that's being shared is more people's experiences rather than the actual audio. Um, and that feels good to me. And I think uh, something that we want to do, like, I, I'm just, like I said, I'm just not, I'm not that concerned with audio going viral. I think something that we've seen a lot of success with is that, you know, we have the BuzzFeed platform. It's an amazing <laughs> platform. It's one of the most visited sites in the world. So we can embed SoundCloud links into potentially viral non-audio posts. So, um, for example, we on Internet Explorer, we interviewed a teenager recently about like what teens are into on the Internet. And then we um, made a quiz on the site that uh, asked people to guess what teens are into. And, um, you know, millions of people clicked on that and, you know, played, you know, um, took the quiz and, we had the the SoundCloud link embedded, and we got three times the listeners that we usually have um, because that they, they were basically SoundCloud streams going through the site. So we, I think that I'd, you know, I'm I'm interested in kind of seeing, um, kind of like taking a multimedia approach to podcasts and saying, well, let's see, like if this written post can go viral with this embedded in it. Um, we're also about to start videos because we know that those can go viral. And we were having the hosts of another round, Heaven and Tracy. They're going to do some videos that then point people to um, to the podcast. So, you know, a video that's kind of unrelated to the podcast. It's just them doing something funny for two minutes. And then um, it sort of serves as an ad. And we're going to see how much that pushes traffic. So um, having BuzzFeed.com at our disposal is really – it's. 
it's something that I will never take for granted. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, <laughs> that, that's that's so great because on one hand, you're 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 also getting out of some of the metrics issues. Like you can, mm-hmm. by being on the web, you get the chance to me- do measurements of how many people are are doing things on a, a little bit more a little bit more readily. And I, I was just looking at uh, your new show, Rerun. Um, oh, yeah. And the the one post that's listed there is uh, something about Daria, the late beloved MTV show, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's it's a long classic BuzzFeed post. And at the bottom, hey, by the way, here's a podcast episode. It seems like a really smart way to to cross promote. Exactly. Yeah, and that does bring in a lot of numbers. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention rerun. That's a that's a brand new one, and we're sort of trying a different model on that one, which is um, a much lower production kind of model. So it's pretty much, it's it, it's not heavily edited. The other shows are heavily edited. Um, there's not too much uh, additional sound besides the people who are talking. So that's um, that's kind of something I wanted to try to see if you know how well that would do and. Um, then we're going to be adding more shows, and we'll see what happens. It's gonna be yeah, fun. that was what I was I was talking with my Neiman Lab colleagues about uh, about your podcast and their their thoughts about them. And one of the res- one of the responses was, yeah, they they seem very produced. Um, that they they're a lot of you know care and production time goes goes into them as opposed to you know some other very successful podcasts that are you know only slight variations of hit record talk for an hour and then stop like like this podcast, which is basically that. Exactly. Um, And I think that that is, you know, partially coming from this public radio background. Like I care very deeply about good sound and good editing and, you know, good mixing, good scoring. And I I sort of see our model as kind of um, it's something in between public radio and say like Earwolf um, or, you know, the loudspeakers network where those shows are very, you know, like mostly very unedited and NPR shows are extremely edited and we're doing something kind of in the middle. We, I mean, it's a big job. Like we only have, we assign one producer to each show. So that's a big job for those people. Um, and you know, they have to book the guests, you know, uh, kind of direct the recording. We have an engineer who just records, but then they have to actually do all of the, our producers do all of the mixing and all of the editing. So it's definitely, it's a haul, um, but it's not something like, you know, an Earwolf or like a Slate where they have like three hours to edit it. We give them a week to do everything and to put out a show a week. So um, I sort of I, I like this kind of in-between model of definitely some care to our, you know, to our editing and um, and our mixing process, but not not like a total <laughs> preciousness um we we are just happy to kind of put things out in the world we're also really kind of open to failure <laughs> if i'm being honest i mean we we like i've worked at a bunch of places that you know you cannot put something out in the world like i said until it's perfect and yeah we didn't feel that way and so we you know if we put out a show and it's not getting listeners or it's not getting you know, good reviews or we're not hearing great things about it. We're not at all opposed to just kind of killing that and trying something new, um, mm. which which is I, I kind of like going about things that way. Yeah. It's, is there anything from the, the, the early episodes of Internet Explorer or another round that that you did learn, you know, in the sense that, you know, if you had decided to spend a year building the show, you might have learned some things along the way. But, you know, you learn an awful lot by actually putting things out there. What what was some of the feedback that you took to heart that you might have, you know, might have changed the shows if, if there's anything? Yeah, we've learned so much. And I think if you listen to our early episodes and then you compare them to our recent ones, the new ones are just so much better. <laughs> I think that um, we definitely, like... The editing wasn't as intense as it is now. We let people kind of run on a bit too long in the beginning. uh, And that's something I can really hear when I go back to those episodes. Um, That includes the interviews. It also includes like the stories that the hosts are telling. Um, I think in Internet Explorer, we sort of overscored it in a way. We there were too many kind of weird sound effects that started to drive me a little crazy and I feel that way about some you know public radio shows too where it's like just 
it, when sound effects are so overwhelming, it kind of distracts from what the hosts are saying. So we we kind of uh, yeah we we fix those things I think. But there was just so much that we've learned. I mean we we had people telling us that like one of the hosts' tones was like a little too harsh in Internet Explorer, and so we've we talked a lot about that and. Um, that he was a little too shock, like shock jockey at first. <laughs> and so he's really taken all of the feedback to heart. And I think like that, that show, they sort of come across as sweeter than they used to. They were very kind of like harsh and, um, and, you know, and we've, we've also learned that like, you just need a really different tone in podcasts than you do when you're writing something. So all of these hosts, none of them have any kind of audio background at all. We just kind of plucked these BuzzFeed staffers who were writers. And so, you know, kind of crafting their voices took some time. Um, but we've we've always wanted their voices to be really authentic. So we never were going to give them any kind of like radio voicing lessons. It's more just about about the tone that they're taking and um, kind of going into it with like an open heartedness that you wouldn't necessarily go into in writing. It wouldn't be appropriate for BuzzFeed to have little 24-year-old Carl Castles or something like that. <laughs> it would not. Yeah, we're not <laughs> looking for, like, amazing announcers or anything right, like that. Right, you, you talked about launching new shows. Um, I guess, A, I'm curious if there's anything you can say about any, any directions that you might be going in. And also, just what kind of scale are you guys aiming for? Like, you know, in a year or two, like, do you think it'll be up to five shows 10 shows, 20 shows? What's the what's the the rate of of new stuff that you'd like to to have? It's such it's such a good question and it's so it's sort of so much about, you know, the success of our current shows and how how many resources we'll get kind of based on those shows. So people are always asking like what's your plan? And the plan is just to kind of see the sort of staffing that we can get and um take it from there. I know that there are shows that we that we'd really like to start. I would love to do kind of like a um, like a fun uh, sort of like younger um, daily news show that's maybe just like ten minutes long, kind of like a like here's what's going on in the world, and here are some news stories, and then here are some like cat stories and <laughs> that sort of thing. So um, just kind of mixing all different kinds of news. So I want to do that. We you know we we actually are about to. In um, October, we're launching a short-run series with a celebrity host. I unfortunately cannot say who, but you'll find out soon. Um, it's the Pope. And, you can just say it. We all know. <laughs> and that's going to be five episodes. I think a lot of what we want to do um, is start to do more and more series. And um, we part of that is just is a staffing thing. I mean, that's the main thing is that if we're going to have one producer assigned to each show we kind of need to um if we want to do like a higher produced show we don't have the resources to to necessarily do that every week so we're thinking of kind of doing like 10 episode seasons of different shows um i'd love for us to keep growing and it's definitely grown faster than we than we thought it would we we have our fourth person starting today and then um, we have gotten permission to hire another person. Um, we have a freelancer. I'm hoping to get an intern. So it's definitely, it's being seen as, as a success and I'm happy about that. And I just hope to keep adding more and more shows for sure. Um, I, it's just, yeah, it's exciting. Uh, I want to ask a little bit about the, the daily news show since we're, we're interested in the journalism piece of BuzzFeed is, uh, uh, is there anything you can say about, and I, well, let me say this. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in part because it seems like, news in the sort of classic, you know, defined sense of news is something that podcasting doesn't seem to have, have spent a lot of energy on, mm-hmm. um, sort of understandably. I mean, and as as the economics of the field change, I, I do worry about, you know, the, the service from a news perspective that we do get from NPR, um, you know, sort of being diffused into a sea of comedy podcasts and all sorts of other things that the market uh, really wants. Mm-hmm. But... Um, how would you? How are you thinking about news uh, from a podcast perspective, with the particular voice and angle that BuzzFeed brings to it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I listen every morning to the NPR One app, um, and that's where I get my news. And I, for my whole life, I've gotten all my news 
from NPR, basically. It's still my favorite place. I, I don't know if I should say that, but it is my favorite place to get the news. Um, and so, you know, we they do those... tell the BuzzFeed news people that, don't worry. <laughs> Please, <laughs> yes. Um, so I think that I, I just imagine kind of doing something like, a little bit like like that, but longer um, and kind of just more, just kind of more fun. I mean, that is... NPR does news better than anybody. They're so great at it. Um, I don't think that we would necessarily want to to be like a very serious news podcast. Um, but I would love to kind of take some ideas from what NPR does with their news briefs and then, you know, mix it with some of what we do in like animal news. And so it could be like world news, animal news. Um, obviously, I haven't thought this through too much, but... I've been talking to, I just saw a producer at a radio station tweeting about um, how she wants to start a daily news show. And then I started a conversation with her and uh, I'm hoping maybe someday I could get her to come work for us because she had a lot more cool ideas than I did. And that's actually how we're, how we kind of find a lot of the people that we want to hire is like people having, having interesting ideas on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Actually. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yes. Um, and I know that a lot of people, I mean, so one interesting thing is like everyone's now kind of talking about in the podcast world about, you know, public radio versus these for-profit companies and how it's the first time that public radio has really had some real competition. Um, and that's, I think that that's an interesting thing to think about, but I don't necessarily think that it seems a little overdone to me. Like there's still really a role for NPR. And, um, and I think that the great thing about podcasts is that once you listen to one podcast, you want more of them. So, and, and it's, so it's a different kind of competition than, than anything else. Like, um, I think that if somebody listens to, you know, the Ted radio hour, then I want to tell them about another show that's similar to that. Or if somebody's listening to call your girlfriend, which is a very popular podcast, then I want to tell them about another round. Um, or if someone's listening to another round, I want to tell them about (laughs) call your girlfriend. So I think that, um, that kind of competition in the podcast world is more like, uh, I think that Matt Lieber of, um, of Gimlet, who I love, said that uh, it's kind of like co-opetition. Um, like we, we, we know that we sort of all need each other <laughs> in a way, and that the more people listen to podcasts, the better off we'll all be. So, um, so yeah, I think that that kind of idea of like you know one or the other is is a little bit overdone, and that there's space for all of us for sure. Yeah, it's not like if you if you run a podcast, you can't look at Serial and Night Vale or others and and say that's that's bad for you. That's good for you because it's converting at least some share of the vast non-podcast consuming public into yeah. being interested in podcasts. Exactly. And it's not like, oh, there's a show on at 9 p.m. that, you know, on Fox, but there's this other show I like on NBC also at 9 p.m. It's it, you know, it's on-demand audio. You can listen anytime and Um, And I'm really excited to kind of like help prop up other podcasters. And we, you know, we try to do a bunch of like best of lists at BuzzFeed and definitely don't just include BuzzFeed podcasts. I mean, there are only three of those, so it would be hard to make a list out of just three. But um, (laughs) three best BuzzFeed podcasts. Yeah. Yes, exactly. In no particular order. Yeah, Uh, that's super interesting. (laughs) Let me ask you about uh, advertising and monetization. I, I, you know, BuzzFeed has plenty of capital to play with, but I imagine uh, some sort of financial return would be a, a positive force to getting you more more scale and, and more resources and more people. Uh, how mm-hmm. are you thinking about about advertising, particularly since BuzzFeed has traditionally a you know a sort of non standard relationship to ads and how it thinks about um, you know it's, it's not. It doesn't just have a bunch of banner ads on on the site, the the native advertising idea. How are you thinking about that and and integrating ads into your podcast? Yeah, so when when I started, they actually had said, like, let's just make podcasts for a year before we even think about monetizing them. Um, I think that that's a way that a lot of things start here is that they don't – BuzzFeed doesn't want to put a ton of financial pressure on people right away. They want to kind of let them – 
you know, thrive or fail um, and, you know, then kind of take it from there. Um, we were really lucky because we got a lot of uh, people asking to advertise on the podcast pretty quickly. So, I mean, after just weeks, we had had, you know, a bunch of inquiries about it. Um, I think because, you know, the BuzzFeed name, it it carries a lot of weight in the in the ad world. People are excited to to be associated with BuzzFeed. Um, and so we, we got really lucky. And so we actually are just, we just started kind of a trial run, uh, with one company to see, you know, how we can integrate these ads. Um, and we've played a few weeks of ads on another round and we'll definitely be doing more and more. I think eventually we'll kind of load, load them up with ads, um, I mean, not so that it's annoying, but yeah, we'll definitely like have a bunch of ads and hopefully they'll be paying for themselves um, and, and, you know, profiting too. Um, what was interesting is, you know, we have this, we have this huge ad sales team here. They're really great and they're also creating the ads and none of them had ever done anything with podcasting. Um, and so it's been this interesting like road for me because I've been, you know, I don't want to be too involved in the ad side of things because I don't, I, I'm, I feel like pretty strict about, you know, editorial versus advertising. They should stay separate. Um, but at the same time, like no one knows about, no one here knows about like, what are the standard CPM rates? You know, um, how do we use a recorder? <laughs> that sort of thing. So I've been really trying to kind of uh, set them up without without like putting any kind of editorial opinion into it. Um, and so I'm sort of, I mean, that's an interesting thing about like being the audio person at a non audio company. It's something I think about all the time. I've had days where I'm just like, Oh, this is so frustrating. I should just, you know, call Matt Lieber and see if he'll hire me at Gimlet. And, you know, cause they understand what audio takes and you know they know that it like takes a lot of people and a lot of resources. Um, and they know how ads work and all that. But then it's also just really, really fun to be kind of like the audio expert. And it means that I've been involved in just so many things that I would never have been involved with anywhere else. So I'm involved in like contracts with celebrity hosts and, you know, I'm like dealing with lawyers. I'm dealing with, you know, uh, managing a budget and, um, and kind of deciding, I decide who we're going to hire. I get to, you know, I, I help the ad sales team try to kind of figure out uh, how to make these ads and um, what we can be charging for them. And so I'm, I'm like, I have, you know, I'm in every aspect of it. And I've learned so much from doing that. I mean, it's all this stuff that sort of just, you know, had to fake it till I make it a little bit. It, it's not a lot of it is stuff I had not had experience with before. I don't know how to, you know, design a legal contract with a celebrity, <laughs> but now I do. So I've just sort of learned just so many amazing things. And it, it's the kind of thing that like I never, ever could have done um, anywhere else, really, because, they, you know, there are people that are in all of these jobs. And here it's like, it's me and a couple producers, and we're just trying to make it all happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned video before, the, the idea of producing a sort of quasi-promo uh, for, for another round. But I want to ask you a little bit more about that. It, it seems to me that, like, I mean, there are audio people. And I mean that from a consumer point of view and there are, from a production point of view. People who just love audio consider you know as you said that NPR is the way that they get they, they get their news growing up and that's just their sort of their area of, of focus but so much of the the web is is about video so much of Facebook uh, so much of BuzzFeed is, is about video you know motion pictures is this giant billion view a month you know uh, crazy uh, yeah. enormous <laughs> enterprise that has been so successful and where the monetization possibilities seem seem more clear in some ways because you can get that sort of a scale but i'm just wondering how you're thinking about video is is there any sense in which video is sort of the next step of evolution for the kind of stuff that you're doing or is it like a spot promotional tool like you mentioned for another round or you know it seemed you know there you know there are video podcasts but they, they right. sort of i've always felt like sort of aliens that don't quite fit in the in my in my podcast app they don't they don't seem to make sense but just how yeah. are you thinking about video 
Yeah. So I, I mean, that, it's an interesting question. I think, you know, I realize that like there are very dedicated people to audio and that's the thing that they want in their lives. Um, and so we have those people, you know, the people that we want to get are the people who aren't into audio. And I think that video and print stuff can be like sort of a gateway drug into audio um, where, you know, I, I don't want, like I said, I, I just, I never want to just focus on, you know, the people that are all, you know, already into audio and know that they love podcasts. I really want to focus on people who don't know that. So video is a good way to do that. I don't, I don't think that we'll ever do like a video podcast. I, I've, you know, I know that like Grantland has done a lot of those and I really like a lot of Grantland's podcasts, but I find that I just turn on the video basically and listen to it. You know, I'll like be cooking dinner and I'll turn on a, a podcast video and it's just like streaming it from SoundCloud. Basically, I'm not there to actually watch it. And um, our podcasts are also so edited that I don't really know how we would do a video version. Um, and so I think that we're, yeah, we're just, I, I think like that this kind of, you know, sort of serving as they can be a standalone videos or they can be, you know, promotional videos. I think just putting something at the end that's like, if you want to hear more from these ladies, go to listen to the Another Round podcast. So, yeah, so I do think it will be mostly a promotional tool. And I mean, I also have this kind of dream that separately maybe they could do a TV show. You know, we just signed this huge deal with NBC. We got $200 million um, from NBC last week. That's public, so I can say that yes, now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think that we're going to be kind of experimenting with television a bit. And, um, you know, I'm also, I think it would be fun to do like a YouTube talk show, something like that. So, I think that especially with another round, like these, these women are stars. I just, I have so much faith in these two women and I think that they could do anything. And I think that, you know, I I hope that audio is always part of what they're doing. And I think that it works wonderfully as a podcast. Um, But I could also see them doing, you know, television, short YouTube talk shows, um, using video as promotional. So I think that there's, there's kind of a whole world in how we can use videos, but I don't, I don't think that video is like, you know, the future of audio or anything like that. Um, yeah, audio I mean, is its own thing. There, there's so much pressure though, to think, I mean, just, you know, well, everything that we've, we've learned about, you know, the power of Facebook video over the last year and autoplay and, and, you know, YouTube still being this, this giant force. You know, I hear some people say, well, why don't you just put one still photo and, you know, have the audio and upload it to, to YouTube or have it on Facebook. And, I mean, I guess mm-hmm. I can understand that at some level, but it doesn't. It, it seems like a, a weird bastardization of, of the form, which is about your ears. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, there. I think that there are a couple kind of interesting ways that that you can um, turn these into multimedia experiences. But so much of so much of the problem with podcasting is the technology, and I'm sure that you've heard people complain about this. It's you know, it's all kind of your, it's uploaded through this RSS feed that's like this very dated technology. You have to, you know, upload it to a host and then make sure that it gets on iTunes and make sure that it gets to all these different places. And um, there's this one new technology that I have, I mean, we get tons of like kind of pitches from from places that want us to host their pod, our podcast there or want us to kind of experiment with things there. And I'm usually not interested, but there's this one company called Acast out of Sweden. Um, and they're going to be launching in America, I think in October. Um, we've been talking with them a lot and it's the first product I've seen that is really interesting to me. Um, and part of it is that you, you have the option to put, to kind of make it a multimedia experience. So you can, you basically upload your your audio file and if there's like a photo that you want to show at like minute two about, you know, the person that uh, that's a photo of the person you're talking about, that can pop up on the screen and you can either look at it or you don't have to. So, um, or, you know, it will link you to articles that, that the hosts are talking about or to videos and that sort of thing. So that to me seems really interesting and it's something that I would like to, exper- uh, you know, experiment with and maybe it would be something fun in kind of short audio pieces, you know, three minute kind of multimedia pieces. Um, 
I'm just I'm curious to sort of see that as an option and kind of test it out uh, yeah. and and see what happens. You know, I can I can totally understand how that would work for you know if you're listening to an episode of 99% Invisible and you know yeah. there's a point where Roman starts describing how something looks and has to spend 45 seconds on it. I can understand the appeal of having no. This is actually just look at your your damn phone. This is what it looks like. But at the same yeah. time, I could imagine. Um, I could you know when I when do I listen to podcasts? I listen to podcasts when I'm walking somewhere or when I'm doing right. the dishes or like you know cleaning up around the house on the weekend. Uh, I could imagine it be sort of being sort of off putting to say, look mm-hmm. at your phone now. You can see this thing that I'm talking about. Exactly. Yeah, and um, and I think that it could probably only work if you could. You know, if it could be sort of an option, but not necessary. So, um, if you want it to be this sort of multimedia experience, you can have it be that way. But that you you aren't missing anything if you don't look at the photos, basically. And I mean, I I've always like thought. I mean, I'm an audio producer, so I'm not like that's how I think is in audio. And I don't think I'd ever get to a point where I could like manage all of the multimedia perfectly. So I'd always want it to be the kind of thing where you could just listen. But I'm I'm kind of excited to see what these new companies are working on. Um, And I could definitely see, you know, like we have this our show Internet Explorer. It's usually like 20 minutes long. It's a young audience. And I could see that being a fun place to just, you know, have some photos pop up every few minutes or um, or like a link out to a video, that sort of thing. And I think that that it could benefit from that, um, but that, it, you know, that it's not totally necessary. But we'll yeah, we'll would, try that it, out. <laughs> it would tie in so well to sort of the classic BuzzFeed story, you know, a bit of a bit of text and then an image, you know, then a bit of text exactly. and then, then a GIF or, or, or whatever. No, that yeah. Makes sense. And and that show, t- I mean, Internet Explorer, a lot of it is about kind of like the history of certain memes. And then when you're not able to show the meme, <laughs> it's they end up, yeah, like taking kind of like a minute to describe like, oh, it's this picture of like a goat on a mountaintop and, and like it's a sh- like jagged edges and like it, it would just yeah. be nice if we could sometimes have a... You can just show Scumbag it. Steve instead of describing Scumbag Steve. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because he's someone you have to see. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did want to ask you, since you've worked in a variety of different environments from an audio perspective and since you have this kind of uh, remarkable perch in the in the audio production world, uh, I, there are a lot of young people who are very interested in audio and, and audio productions, the kind of people for whom – you know, they've wanted to work at NPR since, you know, they were listening to car talk in the minivan on the weekends when they were 12. And what kind of advice would you have for for a young person who's interested in getting into audio and who is seeing this landscape, which, you know, before there were only a set number of jobs and they were either at your local public radio station or at, you know, NPR National or, you know, a, a few other places. Now it's this really diffuse landscape, which I imagine – finds different skills valuable, um, has different interests. What would, you know, if, if a 21 year old comes to you and says, I'm interested in getting into, you know, audio and podcasting, what kind of advice would you have for them? Yeah. Well, and that happens pretty constantly. It seems like a lot of people really want to get into it and it is a great time to get into it. When I started, I didn't even, I mean, I've been doing this for like nine years now. I didn't even know that podcasts were going to be like their own, separate entity um i was thinking like someday i'll be a producer at npr and that's like the greatest job i'll ever have and now you can kind of i mean that is still a really great job but there's so much more out there um my main advice is to really stick with it uh i was talking actually this stuck with me um i was talking to my friend anna sale who hosts a podcast on wnyc called death sex and money and she last year was hiring for a producer job. Um, I ended up helping her out for like six weeks. Uh, had a lot of fun. That was right before BuzzFeed. Um, but she was just saying that, you know, you you can get hundreds of applications and it's almost all people who are at like a very beginner level. And then to find people who actually have experience in audio is really really, really hard. And those people are extremely valuable. And I think that the reason that there are so many like brand new people and then sort of um, seasoned people and not much in between is that a lot of people get discouraged and give up um, in the in their early years. It's something that, you know, you have to work really hard. You 
aren't going to get paid a lot at first. Um, you're going to have to kind of deal with a lot of crappy bureaucracy depending on where you are. You feel like you're going to be stuck in the same job forever. So just kind of sticking with it is really important and it can be really hard. Um, and what else? Um, I mean, just to, uh, just to jump in there, I mean, sticking with it is, is, is one thing, but if you stick with it as, you know, a low level person at, uh, you know, a mid-sized public radio station, like that's one version of sticking with it that may not go anywhere. Um, it's true. Is, is there an element yeah. of like, should those people, you know, be starting podcasts? You know, if yes. I, I always, I always <laughs> tell people, <laughs> I always tell people like whatever you're doing, you know, the, the, the 50th time you do it is going to be way better than the first time. And the hundredth time you do, it, it's going to be way better than the 50th time. And you just need to be stepping outside of whatever your, your crappy low level job is and just making stuff. Yes. I think that is so true. Um, that's, yeah, that's exactly it. And you know, and even if that means I, I think I spent like two years working 80 hour weeks because I would go to my actual audio job and then I'd come home and do like my fun audio stuff. So the podcast for the Believer magazine was something that I started at, you know, a couple of years ago when I was um, or like a few years ago when I was really getting into the actual production side of things. And then just just like taking every job that you hear about. It drove it like drove me crazy, but it also meant that there were times when my name was on like six podcasts at once because I was taking some role in all these different things. Um, and so, just to, if you if you work incredibly hard for a couple of years, it really does pay off. I sort of always said to myself, "I'm just gonna bust my ass." so hard get my name out there and then i want to like have some kind of director of audio job and that's sort of exactly what ended up happen happening um and i'm not i'm like no more talented than anybody else out there but i just work incredibly hard and way too much <laughs> it's trying it drove me insane but also got me to a good place so um keep working there are also really great resources for new producers um transom.org is a great website uh, and the Transom Story Workshop in Cape Cod, that's where I learned like everything I ever wanted to know about um, audio production. Um, also, the Association for Independence in Radio is a really great resource. Uh, pay the fee. The annual fee is like $125 and you get on this listserv that kind of like you get to be, you know, in the minds of producers all across the country and kind of see... Um, people are talking about equipment and they're talking about jobs and um, you learn so much just from looking at the daily air email that goes out. So there are great resources. Um, if people want to talk, they can they can email me. It's just my first name dot my last name at buzzfeed.com or find me on Twitter. <laughs> um, I'm always happy to talk to, to new producers and it can be it can be really tough, but it gets better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, maybe there'll be some it, it gets better videos for being an audio producer. It gets producer. better. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to ask you is, you know, you, you did uh, spend some time in the in the in the classic public radio world. Um, it, it seems like from from conversations I have with people, and that's that's a a world that is feeling kind of nervous uh, these days about yeah future financial support about whether, you know, it's going to lose its audience to podcasting, whether, you know, the connected car is going to come along and change everybody's habits or if people, you know, cut back on driving, they're they're not going to listen to morning edition every every morning or whatever else. Do you have any as someone who's sort of on as you said to call it the other side is not fair, but to be on to be outside of that that <laughs> organization. Is there any advice that you would give to someone who, you know, is Maybe either at uh, running a, a local station or you know is is in DC at at, uh, at the megaship, you know how would you like to see NPR move and and shift or, or public radio shift in the next few years? Yeah, well, let me first say I'm not at all really qualified to talk about this, and That's I know right. that a lot of people. Well, I think a lot of people have been kind of like unfairly harsh on NPR in the past over the past couple of years, kind of like on their high horses at their new oh, podcasting right. companies. Yeah, um, and and you know, and NPR it plays such an important role. It's amazing. Um, I do wish that they would be a little more open to experimenting with podcasts. I know that their their new CEO kind of 
was quoted sort of recently saying that like podcasts are a shiny new toy and they're not something that we need to be focusing on. Um, and I think that, that you can, you know, you can be radio and podcasting. You, there's, there's no kind of, um, there's nothing to be afraid of. And I, I think, you know, NPR is definitely beholden to the stations, to the member stations. And that can be a tough position that they're in. Um, but look at, if you look at stations like WNYC, like that is a, an amazing station that has fully taken on this kind of experimentation and they're making real money off of their podcasts and they're doing well. And, um, you know, podcasting and radio don't have to be these, these two separate things. Um, they can, you can really be creating all sorts of audio at the same company. I'm talking about NPR and, um, and yeah, so I'd love to see stations and NPR, the mothership kind of experiment more with this on demand style audio for sure. Well, this has been great. Uh, good luck to your your current shows and, and your future shows, and uh, thanks for talking with me. Thank you so much. Well, that's episode 14 of Press Publish. Hope you enjoyed it. My thanks to Jenna for the conversation. You can find her on Twitter at WBJenna. You can find the shows she and her team produce at buzzfeed.com slash podcasts. If you like our show, I hope you'll subscribe. You can find the link to our feed at presspublish.org or just subscribe at iTunes. And if you like the show, a positive review there helps us out a lot. The Neiman Journalism Lab is a project of the Neiman Foundation for Journalism at Harvard University, home of the Neiman Fellowships, Neiman Reports Magazine, Neiman Storyboard, and much more. Find us at neiman.harvard.edu. That's N-I-E-M-A-N, not like Neiman Marcus. This episode was recorded at Walter Lippmann House. Walter Lippmann, who said, Great men, even during their lifetime, are usually known to the public only through a fictitious personality. Our theme music is Missing You by Trash 80. Check back next week for another episode of Press Publish. But until then, always remember, disrupt yourself before someone else disrupts you. <laughs>